0: Well, let's turn together to the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 12. we we'll read it verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son... then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For well, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, though we may share His holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This passage we come to again, this is part two really of a, of a sermon on this great passage. And the whole of this section is posited on the principle that the the Christian people are children of God by grace, by the grace of God, through our adoption into the family of God, by virtue of our union with Christ. In other words, what God does is that He He unites us to the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus, in such a a way, in such a manner that is beyond our ability to comprehend because it it belongs to the spiritual realm. But nonetheless, we are united to Christ, and by virtue of the fact that we are united to the Son of God, we have been adopted into the family of God as ourselves, sons of God, men and women together as sons of God. And because our heavenly Father is God— We are being trained in godliness because we're all God's household. And under His fatherly eye, we are receiving our education. And it's not just a mental education. It is a whole life education in the things of God. The two means that He uses are what He says and what he sends so in this spiritual education there is life under the word of god and life under the hand of god now you say god doesn't have hands that's good presbyterian orthodox christian response god doesn't have hands that's good because god is without body and without parts and without passions. He is not a creature as we are. So, when we talk about the hand of God, we're not talking about a thing. We're talking about His action, His action. So, when we talk about being under the hand of God, we think about the actions God takes towards us, what He sends by way of discipline, And uh, you could say that this entire chapter is explaining the purposes of God in the education of His people, and that He sends hardship into our lives, and that hardship is a sign of relationship when it comes to the child of God. Hardship is a sign of relationship when it comes to the child of God. Now, why hardship? Why rough treatment? Well, the fact of the matter is that there are serious dangers out there for the Christian person, things like pride and smugness and self-gratification and self-justification inside of us, and there is slander, and there is shame, and there is violence, and there is death outside of us. Things that threaten our life as believers. Things that threaten the life of the church as a corporate body of Christ. Not only are there dangers, but there are goals that we should be having. There is the promotion of the positive virtues that the Bible speaks about, such as love and humility and meekness and patience and so on. God is training us He's training us for holiness, we're told, there in verse 10, that we may share His holiness. He's training us in righteousness. Look at verse 11. And God uses in this process both what He sends and what He says. Both His words and His hand combine to educate the children of God towards holiness. Now, there are many things that come across our our path in life that we share with people generally. There are things that happen to us that happen to everybody, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. Am I excluding those things? No, I'm not excluding those things because there is nothing that comes across your path or enters into your life as a believer that God cannot use as part of the training course in holiness and righteousness. That's the reality. You cannot look at the things that are happening to you and think these are, these are punishments. God uses them rather, even the things that are uncomfortable, the things that are difficult, He uses them in His training course, His program. In fact, this word in verse 11, you see this word right at the very end of the passage, to those who have been trained by it. That word there comes from the Greek word gymnasium. During the morning service, I go downstairs to talk to the children, so I ask the children downstairs, did they know what a gymnasium was? And they all put their hands up. They did. Obviously, their moms go to the gym. I say their moms because their dads probably don't, <laughs> though their dads probably need to. Uh, and their moms are probably always telling their dads to go, and, and they don't go. Uh, I, I identify a little bit with this gym problem. I, I am the proud, I'm proud to say to you that For a whole year, I had a gym membership. (laughs) I did feel that as a result of having that membership, by the end of that year, I would be very, very healthy. The problem is, you have to go to the gym to benefit from the gym. But I did have gym membership, just to let you know that that's the case. Well, this this word training here comes from that Greek word gymnasium. Under the Word of God, do you see verse 5? the Word of God, the exhortation that addresses you. So, under the Word of God. And then in verse 10, under the hand of God, verse 10, He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. Under the Word of God and the hand of God, we are required to submit to the training discipline of our trainer, who is God Himself, in the gym of life. So, James, for example, tells us to receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted Word of God, to listen to God, to listen to His Word and His instructions. And, on the other hand, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, the actual exercises that He sends into our lives. Put those two things together, listen to His voice Receive what He sends and submit to the the details of your life as they occur, and you will grow in holiness. You will grow in maturity. You will grow in godliness. You will grow in righteousness. That's the principle that is being established here. So, in Hebrews chapter 12, we have the Word and the hand of God in action, speaking to us and working on us, addressing us, and disciplining us. Now, there's a principle involved here. This, this, what I'm describing here, is theologically described by the word sanctification. Sanctify to make holy, sanctification, the process of becoming holy. We differentiate sanctification from justification, Justification has to do with our relationship to God, our being right with God, justified before God. In our justification, we have absolutely no participation whatsoever. Justification comes to us as a free gift of God. It is by the sheer grace of God. There is nothing we contribute to our justification. There is nothing we can do for our justification. It is an entirely a gift of God based on the work of another, i.e., the Lord Jesus. His blood and righteousness, His obedient life, which is credited to me, and His death in my place on the cross, bearing the penalty of sin, Himself in His own body on the tree. On the basis of Jesus' obedience and blood, I am freely forgiven I am justified. I am put right with God, period. In sanctification, however, there is a cooperative work of God. Sanctification is the believer now, with the help of the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer, working with the Spirit, submitting to the Spirit's work, so that the work of God might progress inside me, transforming me, changing me by the grace of God. So, sanctification does not happen automatically. I don't just sit down one day and say, Lord, sanctify me, and then get up and walk around and say to everybody, I'm now sanctified. I mean, I, w- I could do that. Well, you just ask any of the elders and they'll tell you, no, he's not. They'll probably tell it far too quick. I don't want them to pause for a moment before they said it, but they would have said that before you, that you could blink your eye. That's the reality of, of life. Sanctification is a process. Well, let's look at this passage, because what it teaches us is that there are right ways and wrong ways to respond to the trials and troubles of life. First of all, the wrong ways. Well, the danger, and you can see this in verse 5, the first danger is we disregard the exercises that God sends into our lives. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So we can look at the things that come across our path in life, the the, the difficulties that, that arise and we can look at these things and we can never ask questions, we can never reflect on why is this happening? What is God teaching me here? What evil am I being cautioned against? What good am I being directed towards? I can go through with these things that come across my path and not benefit from them because I disregard them. I despise them. I I don't think they have any value whatsoever. I don't see any good in the things that are happening to me. I don't see any purpose in the things that are happening to me. When the, when the trials come, when the problems come. Or I put on a brave face and I stoically try to endure them without, without allowing them to affect me. And there are so many people who do that. They ignore affliction. They ignore these things. They never ask any questions. What sin do I have to confess? What lesson may I learn? What weakness in my nature, what aspect of my personality or my temperament do I need to look at? What are the things that God wants to see in me, the new things, the the things that manifest growth as a believer? What are the things that God wants to produce in me when life becomes difficult? And we disregard these things. We disregard. We think that the stuff that happens to us is disconnected from my relationship with God and my life as a Christian. I mean, coming to church, that's all about being, being a Christian. But that difficult situation you have at work, or that difficult financial situation that you're facing, or this illness that you're struggling with, or this pain that is constant, that has nothing to do with you being a Christian. Really? Really? What are we doing? What we're doing is exactly what it says on the packet. We are regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord. But the second danger is at the opposite extreme. It's the danger of being demoralized by it. See the language that he goes on to use there in verse 5, "'Nor be weary when you are reproved.'" by him nor be weary this is when you are overwhelmed by what's happening when you when we overthink the trial we overthink the trial and then we become utterly discouraged by it and overwhelmed by it and we may be tempted to give up or to give in uh, in our christian life this is a great danger for those of us who are sensitive souls In our case, we are prone to feeling absolutely hopeless. We feel terrible. We feel that everything is against us. This can degenerate into a form of depression, not clinical depression for which you need to go and see a doctor, but but a general despondency. This can lead us to questioning the fairness of God or the greatness of God. We fret over why it's happening to us, and we wonder if God is being quite fair by sending it to us. It's possible to be in this situation. You find in Isaiah chapter 40, for example, God addresses Israel, and He addresses Israel in this language. He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Quote, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Maybe you haven't used those words, but that's what You've actually been thinking in your head, my way is hidden, disregarded. God doesn't see me. He doesn't see what I'm going through. He doesn't see what I'm having to endure. Or God does not care that I'm going through it. Hidden, disregarded. Ever thought that? Felt like that? Maybe you feel what you're going through is not like what nobody else has ever gone through before. The stuff that's happening to you right now this morning, and you feel that your way is hidden from God, disregarded by God. I'm going to read a bit more from Isaiah 40 because it goes on to say this God reasons with us. I want you to see how God addresses this. He doesn't give simple answers, He gets you thinking. This is important. He gets you thinking, have you not known, he says, have you not heard? The Lord is the eternal God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint and grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God reasons us with us. This is remember who you're speaking to. Remember who God is. Remember you can't fathom what God is thinking. But remember that He is your God. He is your God. He is acting for you in the midst of it all. If you're feeling sorry for yourself, if you're neglecting the means of grace that God provides in order for your spiritual nourishment, if your complaints are like a constant dripping of the tap upon other people as as they are discouraged, then maybe you need to take yourself in hand and to talk to yourself the way David talks to himself when he says, self why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so in turmoil within me? Hope in God, I shall yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. So you can be indifferent to the trials, thinking they're irrelevant. They have no, they have actually no significance whatsoever. It's what everybody else goes through, and that's the way life is. Or you can be overwhelmed by them and think, this is dreadful, this is terrible. Or thirdly, you can be bitter, bitter about them. Look at verse 15. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Some people react to the trials and troubles of life by becoming bitter and there is nothing more dreadful to see. I've known people like this. Bitterness alters the physiology of their appearance. Bitterness becomes the default setting of their mind. Bitterness becomes the constant subject of conversation. Bitterness becomes the orientation of their entire lives. And no matter how hard you try, you cannot help such people once bitterness takes root. You see, one of the purposes of the trials is to expose what is in your heart. And trials sometimes, that is the ordinary stuff of life, can expose that what you thought was faith wasn't faith at all. Can expose what you thought was love for God is not love for God at all. It was a comfort that you got. And when the comfort is withdrawn, you discover that there is nothing left, nothing else It's also true to say that there are times even in the life of a believer who has faith and who does know God, that for a temporary period, and the emphasis is on the word temporary period, they can become bitter. You may become bitter for a period until God does something more deeply in your heart to bring you out of that, maybe even bringing you to this service this morning. To pull you back from the brink, as it were, and to do a deeper work within you. Well, those are wrong ways to respond to hardships. What are the right ways? Well, we need, this passage teaches us, first of all, to look at everything in the light of Scripture. Let's go back to verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? What's he doing? He's appealing to Scripture. He's appealing here specifically to the book of Proverbs. He believes that all Scripture is God-breathed, that it's given by inspiration of God, that he considers it to be profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He's saying to these people, you would surely never have grown weary and faint-hearted if you'd remembered if you'd considered, if you'd understood the words that God is speaking to you as a wise and kind father in Holy Scripture. Loved ones, I need to say this to you today. You and I are not left at sea or to our own resources or to try to make a sense of life as it happens to us. We're not left alone to do that. God has spoken to us. He speaks to us from Holy Scriptures. These words of God were written aforetime for our instruction. God does not leave us alone to stumble around in a fog of our our own thinking when trials hit us. If we would make sense of life, if we would be preserved from stumbling... If we would grow in grace, if we would not revert to infantile self-pity, then we must learn to look at everything in the light of Holy Scripture. I read these words this week by John Brown, afflictions, which when considered by themselves may be considered a temptation to apostasy when viewed in the light of God's Word, will be found to be an argument to keep going, to be steadfast. So the author says, remember the exhortation. God is speaking to you. That's why in preaching you hear a voice from outside your own head speaking the Word of God to you. Take everything that happens to you in light of Holy Scripture. Now, this is what not to do. Don't think that by reading Holy Scripture, you will be given an explanation of why now and why this. You, you will not come up with a simplistic explanation. I mean, this is what the world does. If you're, not, if you're not a Christian, you don't have the Scriptures to go to. Who do you go to? You go to your friends. What do you have to rest your arguments on? Worldly wisdom. What are your friends going to say to you? This is what they'll probably say. They'll probably indulge in some form of speculation. Why did this happen to you? Well, it was your parents' fault. Or it was your fault. Or what is it you did? Or what have you not done? And inevitably, you go away more depressed than you were before you asked them the question. What does the Word of God do? Well, the Word of God is much more in comforting. The Word of God says, don't work out, try to work out why this particular problem at this time so that you're able to resolve it in a kind of, I've got the answer to every question kind of thing. That would be the most superficial. I tell you, if anybody ever stands in this pool and tells you they can give you the answer as to why that specific thing's happening in your life, they're wrong. They're dead wrong what the Bible does is this. It says, these things... Let me, let me use the, the language of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was given a problem, a hardship to deal with on a constant basis. We're not told what it was, but it was really seriously bad. He wanted rid of it. He, asked, he prayed to God to get rid of it. And he calls it a messenger of Satan. It was really bad. And yet that so-called messenger of Satan, Paul says, because he was informed by Holy Scripture, was going to teach him something good, a lesson that God's grace is sufficient for every situation. That was the lesson he was to learn from that. Maybe that's a lesson you have to learn. When, when the time comes, when you're put through these things, you come to the Word of God and you find out what the Word of God is teaching you. It's not going to give you answers, you, you know, what, 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 what will your friends say to you? I said they'd speculate. They'd either speculate or they'd say, well, why don't you get your phone out and Google it? And get the... No, no. I'm going to tell you what to do. Get out your Bible and Bible it. And... It'll help you so much more. The Holy Holy Scripture. We need to read the Bible then. We need to read the Bible as those who are sons of God. The way you read the Bible is important. Read it as sons of God. That's the Bible's preferred way to describe believers. Not because of a gender thing, but because of our relationship to the heir, that is to Jesus. Because of our relationship to Jesus, who is the Son of God, we have been made sons of God by adoption. We are all of us heirs to the family inheritance that God has promised to His people. We have that status. In the ancient world, the son had status, the daughter didn't. We all share, sons and daughters, the status of sons of God. But here, the word used here is that of a mature son, not children, not babies or infants or young children, but adults children regularly misunderstand the discipline by their parents they don 't get the big picture. they think their parents are being unfair and that they don 't deserve any harsh treatment or difficult difficulties like having to do homework or, or whatever it may be uh, that, that they have to do they don 't understand that. so the author is saying to us, "Would you read the Bible like grown ups like?" like adults who, who know that there is responsibility involved in being, a, in being a Christian. And then thirdly, we need to see that the Bible not only talks to us as sons, but it reasons with us. That word addresses there can be rendered reasons or or arguments. The Bible doesn't just deliver a series of sentimental tweets that can be retweeted or memorized and repeated to help us through all our difficulties. The Bible is not like that. It reasons. It argues with us. The Bible doesn't come to us and say, there, there now. Everything will be all right in the end. No, no. The Word of God comes and teaches us doctrine. And we think, why am I learning this doctrine? Because one day when things are really bad, it will be the doctrine that will sustain you. It will be the doctrine on which you where you find when you're, when, when you're in up to your neck and you can't find a foothold, you will hit on a rock somewhere underneath there and be, put your weight on it and it will keep your head afloat and you'll be able to breathe because of the doctrines of God's Word. They give you stability in the midst of the storm. In other words, the Word of God addresses our minds and reasons with us. And God's Word reminds us of our relationship with God. Look at verse 6. The Word of the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. This is our Father at work. We have a new life and we have a new status and we have a heavenly Father. And what He's doing, is doing for our good. He knows more than our parents knew. He loves us far more than our parents ever have loved us. God is doing whatever He's doing as, as His child. Therefore, it is not for my ill, but there is something I can learn. But here's the main thing. Here's the main thing, and it's right at the very end of this passage in verse 11. God's discipline will only do good to those who have been trained by it. That word trained I mentioned is the word for gymnasium. For the moment, he says, verse 11, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. You want to lose weight? You go to the gym. You do the exercises. If you're serious, the exercises will cause some pain. Muscles need to be built up. I was showing the children at Sunday school this morning. I was jumping up on top of a chair and down again. I was a very, very quick thing, a very, very subtle thing. I'm not quite sure what muscle it built up, but it was useful. They wanted me to jump from one row to the next, to the next, to the next. And I nearly did, but there were some people in the way, and I would have jumped on on top of the kids. Uh, And the parents would have complained. But, But muscles are meant to be built up. You push down on them. You know, you do these things. I could do it on the floor. I can do it with one hand. Uh, On the floor, but I'm not going to do that because there's a session meeting on Tuesday and it would be brought up. (laughs) But the purpose of the resistance is to build up muscle. The hardships, the difficulties, the setbacks, the surprises of life provide the resistance that helps us to grow in our spiritual life That's what the Apostle is teaching us here. And it only works for those who are exercised by them. When our muscles are stretched, our emotions, our ideas are are stretched, then the result will bring joy. It will have its reward. The purpose of trials is to thoroughly train our moral and spiritual habits of mind and action so that we're able to discriminate between what's right and wrong, between what's good and evil, where we can see our way through the morass of the pressures that are upon us that God might do a work within us of bringing forth the fruit of righteousness, the peace given by a maturity measured by the righteous person who truly lives out their faith. What does it mean to be trained in the gymnasium? It involves exercise. And the things against which we push are the troubles and the afflictions and the challenges and the surprises and the roadblocks and the sufferings of life. These difficulties, these discourages, these discomforts, these pains will only do you good if you receive them the right way and go through the discipline they impose upon us. The author has been talking about this right from the beginning of this chapter. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin that so clings so closely. Let's bear ourselves, as it were, in the presence of God. Let God examine us. Let God, who knows us, examine where are we flabby, where do we need exercise? What areas are we weak in? Are we weak in faith? So, something comes in and it shakes your faith makes you wonder, is is God really alive? Is God really there? Does God know what's going on here? It it addresses your faith. What's, What's going on? Your faith needs to be strengthened. You need to learn to trust Him in the trial. Trust Him in the trial. In everything God is doing, He's doing it that we might be exercised, trained, and instructed to have our faith and our patience pushed to their limits so that they get stronger. Who knows what greater trial lies before us? Brothers and sisters, all of us have to face the final enemy, death itself. And every other lesson we learn throughout all of our life journey is preparing us for that final battle. This is genuine Christian living we're talking about. And if you cannot see how God can take these tough things and make you stronger, then you don't know Scripture well enough, and you don't know God well enough, and you don't know the good and benefit of the trial for your soul. When I lived in Canada back in the 1970s… We called a a guy to be the assistant and then associate minister who had been trained at Westminster Seminary back in the day. And uh, Byron, who is still a close friend to this day, would tell me about one of his friends at college who was visiting a girl who had gone out swimming in Chesapeake Bay and had been very severely injured. And was left a quadriplegic. The girl's name was Johnny. We know her today as Johnny Erickson Tada. Thirty-five, forty years later. Johnny recently was diagnosed for a second time with cancer. And when she was asked for her thoughts on this second cancer diagnosis, she replied, Jesus is ecstasy beyond compare. And if new hardships draw us closer to Him, I am more than content with it. How does a person get there? They get there moment by moment, And day by day, looking at the things that are happening, not with stoical acceptance, but with Christian understanding, and learning each lesson that is to be learned, adding to their faith, building on their faith and their love and their joy, keeping their gaze on Jesus, finding their comfort in the fatherly care of God, casting their hope in what will come later. Do you see that at the end of verse 11 there? What comes later? For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. We keep in mind the later, and beyond the later in terms of this world, there is this, that we live, shall we not much more, verse 9, be subject to the Father of Spirits, and live, he's talking about really living here, really having joy in God here. Really finding in God our life here. Really finding that here in the midst of the trial, to have God is to have life. And one day it is to enter into glory, honor, and immortality. It is to have eternal life in its most perfect form in the presence of God. That's the goal, that's the destiny. And on the journey there, the journey we are on in this room today, the journey you and I are in the middle of right now, we are to consider the later, the afterward. God knows your heart, and He knows your hurt. And He can take those things, and He can make you beautiful. He can make you beautiful for Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would take this tough word, tough for us because we'd rather not have any trouble and hardship in life, but there just is. We pray that today you would please help us to so trust in Christ and so rest on Him, that afterwards, later, we might be known as those who have the peaceable fruit of righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.